Welcome to the Ethical Growth Marketing Podcast, brought to you by growthanimals.com. Welcome. This is the Ethical Growth Marketing Podcast, and uh, we're going to be doing a series of these over the next few weeks and months. You'll be seeing my co-founder, Jen, doing a series around COVID creations, the businesses that have started, flourished, or pivoted during COVID. Um, and Jerin, our chief growth hacker, is going to be doing a series as well around ethical growth hacks. So watch out for that. I am here today with Christina Clark, who is the founder and CEO of Work Culturati. And um, her whole business is around this idea of being on a mission to empower businesses and leaders to foster an authentic and thriving corporate culture uh, from the ideas inside out and uh, where this idea of a happy employee being the best ambassador for any organization from all the way up in the C-suite to all the way down to interns. Um, so in that vein, I guess, Christina, do you think an ethical approach to marketing is going to become a key aspect of this as we move past the post-COVID era? Well, yes. Hello, Chris, and thank you for, thank you, thank you for having me on the podcast. Um, Pleasure. Yes, I think... A post-COVID world feels a little while off, almost in some senses, doesn't it? Although I, I did have not. lunch who <laughs> said, you know, maybe we are already in a post-COVID world. Who knows? But I think certainly, yes, you know, an ethical approach to marketing, um, meaning where you're treating all your stakeholders that you're in contact with, you know, fairly and respectfully, you know, of course, that's going to help you to build a positive brand reputation. And, mm. you know, brands, businesses absolutely have to be laying the groundwork now yeah absolutely do you think um businesses have coped well with the crisis i mean i think you know businesses have a key role to play during these difficult times to to share you know correct information um to quickly correct information that isn't correct um you know to help raise awareness so i think yeah i mean i think at the moment there are some businesses that are getting it right and that are getting it getting it wrong. In fact, I think from a from a marketer's perspective, we've felt that businesses have been a bit guilty of jumping on bandwagons, and we've seen many an advert where it's that same piano music at the beginning and people sounding like we're all in this together, and it almost feels like people are trying too hard. Um, do, you, do you think there's any other sort of bandwagons lately where marketers, again, have been guilty of jumping on that? Yeah, so I, I read a really interesting article on Medium actually recently on this on this topic of bandwagoning and actually this chap called Geraint Clark. No relation, sadly. Um, <laughs> he was talking about the moral and ethical implications of uh, having a corporate stance, you know, of corporate bandwagoning, as it were. And he was mm. talking specifically about Black Lives Matter movement. And I think that he summed it up really well in that, you know, so-called virtue signaling by brands, you know, of course, could be considered as using the movement for your monetary gain. I, you know, give us your money and then we're going to donate it for you in various ways. And, you know, sometimes mm. we're not sure how that's being dealt with. You know, you don't have that visibility. But, you know, on the other hand, we're seeing, you know, consumers um, you know, keen to know where, where their hard-earned cash is going. And what Clark says here is that, you know, it's, of course, not good enough anymore for a company to be a faceless entity. And we're seeing, a, you know, a major fight, um, you know, everywhere, I suppose, about against the proliferation of fake news, you know, in the state of our world. 
So, you know, it's often hard to know who to believe. Mm. But certainly I would say that Black Lives Matter is a movement that has sparked brand activism or, you know, political CSR, as some circles are calling it, you know, and how companies are engaging with their suppliers, with their customers, with local communities. And I think the important thing is that they're all now holding a mirror up to their behavior mm. and taking an objective look, you know, saying, hey, look, which businesses am I, am I showcasing? You know, who am I not talking about? Whose stories are not represented properly here? Yeah. And I think the vast amount of value of human connection to be fostered there, you know, to be part of a wider conversation around diversity and inclusion is, is long overdue. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it is a double-edged sword. And of course, you know, there's a ripple effect of positive impacts at the moment. But, you know, the important thing, you know, as, as I'm speaking as well as an XPR, you know, I think the important thing here is that people stay consistent um, yeah. because, of course, you know, this is about human rights and equality. So, you know, it's even more important that you, know, you prove that you're not bandwagoning by you know, continually talking about it and, and raising the profile of the issue. Uh, Ryan now obviously has been putting out some quite witty uh, tweets um, and, you know, they were jumping on the US elections as a bit of a hook there. But uh, I saw that they reached out to Eric Trump via Twitter to kindly offer him European flights uh, for under 10 euros whenever he's in the area since the White House will no longer be loaning Air Force One to him. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so some people could use that, you know, to, to witty effect, I think. But well, that leads nicely then. I guess they're an example of people doing it well. Who, who's doing this badly? Who's doing it well, do you think, at the moment? Well, we start with the positive. I mean, I think, you know, COVID is obviously making consumers you know, people everywhere within our within our networks and beyond, you know, reevaluate the, the brands that they're consuming, um, you know, what they're interacting with, looking at fast fashion and fast living with mm. different eyes due to the pandemic, right? So mm. there's actually, there's a couple of businesses that have caught my eye recently. Um, one of them is called, it's a business in the UK called Painter Jacket. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, Chris, but... No. They, they basically, they're taking different iconic styles of jacket and they're remaking them using the best uh, materials that they can find. And they're actually made to order in batches and only three times a year. So the idea is that they don't create any waste and everything is part of a kind of limited edition approach. Mm. And you know, on their website, I mean, they're great storytellers. You know, they're making these like beautiful pieces of clothing. And the idea is that, you know, they're trying to play their part in stopping clothing go to, to landfill. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's another company, actually, I know from an online co-working space that I'm a part of. I'm a member of this thing called Real Work, which is brilliant. And there's another fellow member in there called Mahara Kalim, who set up a, a company called Spruce. And it's basically around rethinking home and personal care products so that you can make an ethical choice without compromising on you know, your convenience or its effectiveness. Or and I, and I suppose the idea is that it's set up to challenge you know, established consumer products, plastic products, you know, that have not mm. seen much innovation in years. And their, their goal was to really put an end to single-use uh, plastics and, you know, to, to take out toxic chemicals from everyday products. But they've also made a commitment that they're going to remove a kilogram of ocean-bound uh, plastic waste for each order. So that's the equivalent of, like, 25 wow. plastic boxes. So it's pretty powerful stuff. You know, people are really coming up there, businesses that are actively trying to solve problems in our society. Yeah. Uh, so it feels good. But, yeah, I mean, on the, on the downside, you know, there's, I heard some hilarious stories about, you know, some brands that are obviously jumping on the COVID-19 bandwagon and making some rather misleading health claims. Uh, the, apparently in Spain, there was a video that was circulating on WhatsApp promoting a wine as something that could protect you against coronavirus and other illnesses. <laughs> the, the advertising authorities swooped in pretty quickly on that one. I'm not surprised. And, <laughs> 
Similarly in India, there was also a mattress that was promoted as a sort of anti-coronavirus mattress. So uh, I think that was also definitely dealt with by the uh, complaints committee. <laughs> These sound like solutions out of the Donald Trump playbook. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. The Kofefe mattress. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, Brilliant. Yeah. And like your whole business is around culture. So how do you think culturally businesses can set themselves up to be more uh, prepared for ethical marketing? Yeah, it's a great question, Chris. I mean, you might be familiar with a guy called Peter Drucker. He's yeah. an Austrian-born American management consultant, you know, educator, author, whose writings obviously contributed to the, you know, practices of or the foundations of what's now referred to as modern business but he was a big believer in the need for community and he famously said culture eats strategy for breakfast you know meaning that culture is of course the specific ingredient that motivates employees um and keeps clients happy yeah. so if you if you quit an organization or a business you know, you're normally leaving because the culture is not working for you and when the, the converse of that is obviously when the culture is rooted in good strong values, good ethics, you know, productivity and morale are sky high and therefore, you know, you're able to think more strategically. Yeah. So I think, really, you know, we've talked about this before, I know when we've, when we've chatted um, beforehand that, you know, culture is very much the sum of its parts, you know, you have to have your trust in your leaders and your employees and, mm. you know, and I think it's a bottom line imperative, right, because then your consumers will, will see what you're doing and, you know, believe in, believe in what you're doing. Yeah. So I think going back to sort of fostering, you know, genuine relationships and connect connections and not thinking about it in transactional terms. And, um, you know, going back to Drucker, I mean, you know, he believed that a company's primary responsibility was to serve its customers. You know, profit's not the primary goal, but rather mm. an essential condition for the company's continued uh, existence. So I think that, you know, ethical marketing is very much a sort of stem from, from that approach, mm. from that mindset. And in that light, actually, you, you published an article recently about B Corps. Uh, do you think B Corp is the solution? I think it's definitely a big part of the solution. You know, I think um, what's so powerful about a B Corp certification is that it is really much more than just a marketing tool. Mm. I mean, brands don't pay significant fees to be certified. Uh, but their membership is only maintained if they do invest in continuous improvements. Yeah. So I think that sort of redirects all the brand's resources towards, you know, internal change. So it kind of goes back to my, my thing about, you know, corporations need to be looking at a change from the inside out. Mm. Um, and I think there are many certifications out there that claim to uphold, you know, high social and environmental standards, but few actually hold companies to be legally accountable to them. Mm -hmm. So I think that's why the whole you know, B Corp movement is about rethinking how business can be a force for good for the environment, for society at large, and um, you know, if you're if you're actively pursuing your certification, then it's great because you know you're you're living your values by walking the talk, mm. and you have to redo it every three years. So it's not just like you know, hey, yeah. I got it once. Um, I'm always going to be a B Corps. Um, no, you have to actually sort of you know maintain that status and and also publish impact reports. And I think you know, given how high ESG and sustainability is on. On the agenda, anyway, you know, this also just makes uh, perfect economic sense to to grow the movement and to participate there. Yeah, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. We've we've been doing that process a little bit ourselves, having a look at what we need to do to kind of qualify for that B Corp 
sort of uh, accreditation and it's yeah. it is a is a monster of a piece of work to work through but you you really feel reassured that those people that make that process and get through it and and retain it year after year are genuinely ethical and sociably yeah. responsible companies so it kind of gives you more i guess reassurance that that list of b corps you know they they deserve to be there you can Absolutely. put your trust in them Absolutely. And it's so heartening to see. I mean, I follow them actively on LinkedIn and, you know, across all socials. And, you know, there are new members joining, you know, every day. And I believe yeah. that they're, you know, they're flooded with people who are interested in, in the movement. So it's, yeah. it's a, one to watch. I feel like it's a very positive thing to be coming out of our, our times that we're living in. So Absolutely. Um, but B, B Corps and other non-profits, you know, they are also looking at some of the more cutting edge sides of marketing, like growth hacking, for example, which is very much entrenched in artificial intelligence. Do you mm. think that they should be restricted in that because it's kind of stepping into an unethical territory? Look, I mean, I think it's a really thin line. Um, I mean, people shouldn't get too comfortable with that thin line. You know, I think it's important to know, you know know your rights in terms of data and privacy but um mm. yeah i think it's just something we need to be a bit cautious of yeah no it makes sense i think maybe the key is that we are not to rule out those practices but to kind of uh ensure there's a human first culture there yeah. to make sure it doesn't run unchecked and have the negative byproducts perhaps Absolutely. I mean, look, you know, AI is is absolutely fascinating. I, I don't know if you maybe spotted there was a, an article that was published in The Guardian recently where the paper had set, um, it, it had asked a thing called GPT-3, which is, you know, open AI's powerful new language generator to, uh, to write an op-ed from scratch. Right. Uh, the were actually written by The Guardian and fed to GPT-3 by a chap called Liam Poor, who's a computer science undergrad at Berkeley. And the assignment was basically to convince humans that robots come in peace. Um, and for the essay, it was given the instructions to basically write this, you know, 500-word op-ed, keep the language simple, concise, um, and focus on why humans have nothing to fear from AI. Uh, I mean, it actually came up with a pretty coherent essay, which is, you know, could, could be alarming <laughs> for many. Um, but, you know, actually my favorite takeaway comment from that Guardian article was that editing the GPT-3's op-ed was no different than editing a human op-ed. But overall, there were fewer edits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess that's the advantage of AI, right? <laughs> exactly. So, you know, clearly AI can learn from our best and our worst impulses as a society. And you know, many reflect on the apocalyptic possibilities, um, our biases, you know, around gender, race, sexuality, income, or other stereotypes can be fed to these machines, which mean that, you know, of course, they're learning from our less appealing attributes. But on the other hand, I think, you know, if you keep a BDI on having a good, strong, accountable, transparent culture of reporting throughout an organization, then of course, there's a far greater chance that you can you know, halt and you know stop these biases before it actually becomes something um, yeah. <laughs> that, that is harmful to, to society at large. So yeah, yeah. we're all about transparent human first cultures at work culture. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And and it seems like that was one of the key takeouts of the social dilemma on Netflix was this, you know, that the AI really has so much potential in the world of you know curing diseases and and 
helping us get over climate change yet when it's left unchecked and with uh, organizations that have become a bit too greedy about the money it can generate for them that's when it can send you down these malicious kind of wormholes that almost take advantage of our primitive cognitive pathways so I think you're right you know have, just making sure it's human first or at least has human checks and balances it is enough in, in many cases that's right. Everything in equilibrium and proportion as, as much as is possible. I mean, in our society, I think you know we're we're living in a culture of distraction, right? So yeah. I think we just have to really keep an eye on you know what is what's real, what's not, what's important, what's not, and, and you know, kind of go from there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and do you think that this whole idea of ethical business growth is that? Do you think that's a competitive advantage, or is it already a hygiene factor? It's a great question. I mean, I think it is ultimately a bit of both. But, I mean, the bottom line is that, you know, strong ethics make good business sense and will, of course, attract consumer loyalty. You know, mm. people will step out um, when something is uh, nefarious or, um, you know, set up just purely for commercial reasons. So, yeah, I think your consumers are probably the best the best guide in this situation. <laughs> yeah, I think that the old saying of the bad guys always win. At least, hopefully, it's slightly turning that background now. The, the good guys should win, or at least have an, uh, an equal competitive advantage, let's say now. Yes, good guys and gals. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant, Christina. So, um, uh, just as a final point then, if people wanted to get in touch with you, how should they do that? Why, why should they have a chat with you? Well, well, I guess the why, you know, if you are a person or a company facing a, a tricky transition, we'd love to hear from you. You know, are you going through a hard time at work? Is your company growing too fast? You know, we'd love to challenge your thinking and your processes around culture, around values, around your approach to leadership that befits employees in 2020 and beyond. So um, we also have a thought leadership platform where we champion ideas in terms of you know what does the future and the and the present look like for work so please do get in touch if you're interested in participating in that and uh yeah let us know what you think great well thanks very much it was a really great chat as always with you and uh yeah hopefully there'll be many more of these to come so uh yeah take Absolutely. care and uh see you again soon <laughs> thanks for listening to this episode of the ethical growth marketing podcast brought to you by Growth Animals. Leave us a review and subscribe to make sure you never miss an episode. Head over to growthanimals.com if you're ready to kickstart your ethical business growth.